Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. On Wednesday evening, CMS released the 2024 Medicare Advantage and Part D Final Rule, which contains several provisions that are directly relevant to our Medicare members. We discussed the regulation back when it was just a proposed rule in late December, and on this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Native Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, Marcy Buckner, is back to discuss the final rule. So... Hi, Marcy. Let's get into the CMS final rule on MA and Part D, marketing. I just mentioned that there are provisions in this final rule that impact independent agents. There were general marketing requirements that were included in the proposed rule. So before we get to what was included in the final rule, were there any proposed provisions that didn't make it There are 22 items that they are addressing in the marketing section. 17 of those did have some changes based on comments that were proposed. And then the one piece that they are not addressing in the final rule was their proposal to prohibit TPMOs from distributing beneficiary contact information. And this is something that they are continuing to look at and we could see it addressed in a future final rule, but they are not addressing it in this rule. Let's talk about the general marketing requirements that this rule institutes. There are a few provisions from the proposed regulation that were amended in this final version. So can you talk a bit about those? Sure. So the changes that they are looking at, and this is a bit of a long list. So if you'll be patient with me, we'll go through them and then we can kind of unpack the ones that they are looking at, but they are finalizing changes to the notification to beneficiaries annually in writing of the ability to opt out of phone calls regarding MA and Part D plan businesses. They are also requiring agents to explain the effect of an enrollee's enrollment choice on their current coverage whenever the enrollee makes an enrollment decision. They're simplifying plan comparisons for requiring medical benefits to be in a specific order and listed at the top of the plan summary benefit. They are still limiting the time that a sales agent can call a potential enrollee after that scope of appointment. And we're going to talk about that in more detail in a little bit. They are changing some of the requirements on those recording calls for TPMOs and beneficiaries. And they are continuing to put in that prohibition for marketing events for there to be a 12-hour time period or cooling off period between an educational event and a marketing event. This just kind of scratches the surface. Let's start with something that we did see some changes on. So I know when these rules came out, 
I was actually on the Medicare advisory group call with our NABIT members when this was released and we were scanning through and seeing a few items. And I, I could tell there seemed to be a, a level of defeat that there, there weren't large sweeping changes. Oftentimes we don't see those large sweeping changes between a proposed rule and a final rule, but we do get some of these smaller changes. One of those was on the scope of appointment. So in the proposed rule, they were limiting scope of appointments and business reply cards to a six-month time frame. Many of the commenters commented that this was too short of a time frame, and that included NABIP. And so after considering the comments suggesting why this was too short of a time frame, they are changing the proposed rule to extend the time frame from those SOAs and BRCs from six months to 12 months. So they're extending that period of time that you'll be able to go back and contact someone after they're signing a scope of appointment. So we are happy to see that they are responding to our suggestions there. And again, these are small pieces, but they add up to seeing lots of change and help us to plot our advocacy in the future as we see further proposed rules. There was another piece that touched on scope of appointment that was requiring a 48-hour cooling off period before signing the scope of appointment and having a meeting with the beneficiary. We commented that this is not an ideal provision because there are situations in which beneficiaries may need to have that meeting within the 48 hours. Based on the comments, HHS says that they are convinced that a overall broad prohibition on having a personal meeting less than 48 hours after the SOA is too strict and that exceptions are necessary. And they give the examples that are the examples that we used, that it could be the end of an AEP, OEP, or SEP, and the 48-hour rule could prevent someone from being able to enroll for the first of the month, all of these different things. They could, with the 48 hours rule, there could be a restriction on travel or trying to meet in person where they, you know, may not have um, the ability to meet electronically or, or over the phone. So having to, to wait those 48 hours to come back to someone's office could be very restrictive in the way that they are making this meeting. So the way that they have changed the way that the wording is after reviewing the, the comments and the reasons for people like NABIP that, that opposed this. They are now putting in place, um, the provision now reads that it requires a plan or agent or broker as applicable to that agrees upon and records a scope of appointment with the beneficiary at least 48 hours prior to a personal marketing appointment or meeting, except in two situations. One is when a beneficiary requests an appointment within four days of the end of the ballot election period, which means the end of an AEP, OEP, SEP, or the end of the month. And then the other is when the beneficiary initiates an in-person meeting. That was another comment of ours saying, you sign this 48-hour scope of appointment where they have to wait, but what if the beneficiary is saying, no, I want to meet tomorrow? in person and I want to go ahead and, and make my decision. 
So they are allowing exceptions to that 48 hour scope of appointment rule and, and are also addressing our comments that pointed out that this is unreasonable, especially when you're near the end of those enrollment periods where it can be very restrictive and cause someone to have a large gap in, in coverage. The final rule also includes the requirement that an agent tell prospective enrollees or how many plans that the agent sells. So what does that provision look like in this final rule? So this is kind of round two from those first disclaimer rules that we got in the previous Medicare marketing rule. And this is where we pointed out, you all may remember that the disclaimer is that is required to be read within the first minute of a marketing call says, you know, I'm Marcy Buckner and I do not work with all of the Medicare plans in my area. If you would like more information, you can contact medicare.gov or 1-800-MEDICARE. We pointed out that for some of our agents and brokers, they do actually work with all of the plans in their area. And so requiring them to provide this disclaimer um, is is asking them to provide inaccurate information, fraud, if you will, which is the exact thing that HHS is trying to prevent. It's fraud with the Medicare beneficiaries. And so in the proposed rule that we got in December, the wording was that they were going to require TPMOs, which includes agents and brokers, to, in the first minute of the call, say, hi, I do work with all of the plans and the Medicare plans in the area, and those plans are, and then you were to list out all of the plans that you work with, and then at the end of that, say, if you would like more information, you can contact Medicare.gov, 1-800-MEDICARE, or your state health insurance plan, your SHIPS. So that ship thing was added. The alternative to that was if you do not work with all of the plans in your area, you say, hi, I do not work with all of the plans in the area, but the plans in the area that I do work with are, and then you were to list all of those out and have the same ending that if they would like other information, they can contact 2800-MEDICARE, medicare.gov, or the SHIPS. In our comments, we commented once again that this disclaimer is not needed for the calls that you're having and to be placed on all of your marketing materials and emails that now with the requirement to list out all the plans, it could be very lengthy um, depending on where you are doing business. It can take you a very long time to go through and list out all of the plans that you are working with. So the alternative that they are now saying is that instead of listing out all of those plans, because they did respond specifically to our comment that said this could be very, very lengthy and confusing to a beneficiary who is sitting there listening to you just list off all of these plan names for the first five minutes of their phone call with you. So instead, now you're able to say, hi. I do work with all of the plans in our area, and those are 18 plans. And then you go into the rest of the disclaimer, or you say, I do not work with all of the plans in my area. I only work with six. You go into the rest of the, the disclaimer, and then you're able to, to begin your marketing or enrollment call. 
there were a lot of comments about adding ships to the disclaimer. Many of those comments, ours included, um, were about the fact that ships are not licensed or certified entities. They do not have the same background that agents and brokers have to provide the level of expertise and guidance in choosing a um, HHS did respond to that, um, that they feel as though when a beneficiary is talking to an agent or broker that does have a relationship with different plans, um, that beneficiaries need to be made aware that there are quote unquote unbiased entities like SHIPS and 1-800-MEDICARE that they can go to if they feel as though they need a different type of assistance. So we were not able to get that language taken out, but we're able to simplify the disclaimer so you're not listing out all 18 plans that you work with um, and, and trying to rattle that off within the first minute of your enrollment call. So obviously, one of the biggest requirements that have come out of these marketing rules in the last year has been the requirement to record telephonic calls with beneficiaries or potential beneficiaries. So how does this final rule deal with these recording requirements? In the proposed rule and now the final rule, they do go back and cite those FAQs that they released in December. And those FAQs, some of you may remember, were a direct response to the questions that NABIP had for HHS and CMS about how exactly they were going to implement these call recordings. So in the FAQs and then in the final rule, they clarify that the recordings are just for any call that leads to an enrollment. So it's the enrollment conversation that must be recorded. You are not required to record calls where someone is calling to set up a a future meeting. You're not required to record a call if someone is calling and asking you to look something up in a provider directory to see if a certain position is covered. It is just those calls that have to do with marketing and that lead to the enrollment conversation. They're, They're very specific about this. We did ask for limitations so that you're not maintaining those recordings for 10 years. They did not respond to that in our request to shorten the length of time that you have to maintain those records. We know that it is very costly and they they responded feeling as though it, 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 it is not as costly as we are sharing with them. So a little disagreement there. We also requested again for independent agents and brokers to be taken out of the definition of a third-party marketing organization because of course these recording requirements are placed on the TPMOs because independent agents and brokers are being defined as a TPMO, these requirements go on to them. So they also responded that they had commenters that were concerned about having to now go back and delete recordings if they were recording conversations about making appointments. And they said, you know, you don't really need to do that. You know, you don't need to go back and audit your your past recordings, just make sure that going forward that you're in compliance with these recordings. They did respond to our comments about beneficiaries that do not wish to be recorded, and they did not budge there where we were asking for, you know, that 
beneficiary should be able to waive the requirement to be recorded. Some beneficiaries don't want their information out there stored on the cloud for 10 years, especially in light of a lot of different cybersecurity breaches, one specifically on the DC exchange, uh, for example, that happened within the past month with members of Congress and their staff having their information breached. Great example of why some information shouldn't be hanging out there for 10 years. And also why a beneficiary should be able to say, I don't feel comfortable being recorded and having this information stored for a lengthy period of time. Their response is always that whenever we bring this up about the recordings, they just double down that a beneficiary can go to an in-person meeting and that if a beneficiary says they don't wish to be recorded, that the call has to end. And I say call, this also extends to Zoom and other platforms like that, that is all included in the telephonic requirements. But we would counter that, you know, you could be a beneficiary that has a longstanding relationship with an agent that may not live close by. And so for you to say, I don't want to be recorded, an in-person meeting isn't necessarily something that is a realistic option for you. You may also have different ambulatory restrictions that prevent you from being able to go and and do in-person meetings. There may be reasons why the agent isn't able to come into your home. So a lot of different pieces where there should be exceptions where we just haven't been able to move the needle on that yet. So another piece that I know people were concerned about was the use of the Medicare logo and restrictions on using the Medicare logo or the HHS logo in their different types of marketing materials. And here they are very specific about the use of of the logos and not necessarily just the term and making sure that any disclaimer saying that you are not Medicare.gov does need to be very obvious and and prevalent in any of the materials. So their example is if you have a website that's medicare.com and then you have someone very somewhere very small at the bottom of the page that says this isn't medicare.gov, that is not good enough. So it needs to be very specific when you're listing these out, especially for for plans, but they are very specific about the prohibition on using the Medicare logo and the Medicare, the HHS logo, that fun logo with the with the bird and the circle around it, are, are not being as stringent as was previously perceived about using the, the word Medicare, um, as long as it is very clear that you are not representing yourselves as part of, of Medicare, as part of CMS or HHS. One piece that they did change with this was in that section, they also prohibited the use of a Medicare card in any materials. And with this, there was uh, some confusion about some entities that use a, a card that's mocked up, you know, with a John Doe name, and they have it on their materials to be able to point out on a, on a beneficiary card where their card number is, where their plan is to help as an example for, you know, 
where their information is that they need when they are making appointment or seeking care or things like that. So very similar when you're trying to set up a direct deposit from your bank account and they have the example of a a check where it says, this is your account number. This is your routing number. Whoever, I can never remember which one is which at the bottom of the check, which one's on the left, which one's on the right. So very similar to where you see those little numbers pointed out where normally you would not want, um, obviously, a copy of a check out there. They're saying you can use, you know, a a mock-up of a Medicare card in those circumstances where you're using it to show examples and, and help. Um, as an aid, as a tool for beneficiaries to be able to understand what information is on their card and how they use it. So the proposed rule also attempted to strengthen the ability for plans to monitor agent or broker activity. So what does the final rule released this week say about that? The final rule did keep this section intact there were a lot of commenters that said that they felt as though the plans already have a significant authority over the agents and brokers. There were other commenters that said that they they didn't. Our comments were asking about what exactly they had in mind for this oversight because it was very vague and the final rules don't include any real instruction on this. So I would anticipate some sub-regulatory guidance coming out on this in the coming months. For us, our comments were that as stakeholders, we would want to be included in anything that they put together for how they, they see this. I think that my thoughts about this haven't changed from when we saw this in the proposed rule in December to now. My thoughts at that point were that we were anticipating this because There were a lot of misunderstandings about some of the requirements that were already in place when we got to the proposed rule, specifically with the recording requirements and other things that HHS was saying. This was already in place since 2018 from sub-regulatory guidance. We don't know why this information wasn't filtered down through the plans. And so I think that there are other pieces like that where CMS feels that there should have been oversight and support from the, the from the plans to agents and brokers to be in compliance with those sorts of things. And that's where the thought for this oversight program is coming from. Uh, so we will be, again, reaching out as stakeholders to, to be a part of what they, they develop there. Obviously, we know you are licensed by the state. You take your Medicare certification class. Um, Hopefully you're taking it with NABIP. We want to make sure that we're not adding anything else there, but that it is giving the the plans a little more responsibility to make sure that they're handing down some of this information to be in compliance and that the plans are made aware if an agent that's appointed with them is acting fraudulently so that there is a system in place to be able to take action. And then the proposed rule also had included a requirement for agents to provide what they called a pre-enrollment checklist to prospective enrollees. So is that still in the final rule? It is still in the final rule. And this was this was an interesting one because we actually submitted comments in support of this because in in the preamble of the rule, they say that 
80% of the calls that they audit from agents don't include all of the information that they feel is needed for an appropriate enrollment. And even with some of the pre-enrollment checklists that are out there, they don't feel like those encompass everything that is required. And so from our perspective, if there is a checklist that's approved that you know, agents and brokers can use, that is their insurance policy that they have checked off everything on that checklist in their phone call. And so when their phone call is audited, they will, they will not be part of that 80% that touch on every aspect that um, CMS expects them to do. So um, it, was, it was interesting to see others that were opposing this, um, but we supported it. And this is another area where we said that as stakeholders, as the entities that are meeting with beneficiaries and going over these pieces, um, we would like to be included in the development of this checklist especially because our members do work with so many different plans. And so they see the different checklists that the different plan sponsors have. Um, and we're the best entities to kind of compare and contrast those and come up with the best practices of what checklists work and how to put those together so that we're all working towards the same goal of protecting beneficiaries and making sure that all of the information that is needed to put them in the right plan is shared with the, the entity that is helping to enroll them. Will NAPA be voicing any concerns about anything included in the final rule to the administration? While I was on the Medicare advisory group with our NABIT members, I received an email from one of our contacts over at CMS, just making sure that we saw the rule and, and asking for feedback. So we'll be putting that together. And then especially on these items where we know there's going to be more guidance coming out, possibly sub-regulatory guidance or FAQs we will be reaching out to them with our suggestions for that and a reminder that we would like to be included in any of the groups of stakeholders that they put together to be able to kind of either beta test or provide more suggestions and comments before we get to a point of, of seeing the final FAQs and guidance. So similar to where in December we got that list of FAQs for uh, the previous Medicare um, marketing role, that was a direct result of several meetings that NABIP had one-on-one with CMS officials and then essentially drafting the FAQs for them and then letting them edit them to a place where they were comfortable with the information and then being able to share them. So we will be following up with them with this final rule and making sure that um, we understand the, the intent and how they would like to see this executed so we can assist our members in being in compliance and working in the best interest of the Medicare beneficiaries, which is really the goal, um, I think, for all of us. It is now time for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So Marcy, what are we toasting to this week? This week, we are celebrating spring and all of the high holy days that come with it. Uh, This week, we are in the midst of Passover, Ramadan, and Easter. 
So we hope those that are celebrating are enjoying time together with their families. And don't forget, our annual convention is coming up June 24th through 27th. So you may want to ask the Easter Bunny to put a registration for our annual convention in your Easter basket this year. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.